You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. And joining me for this episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, how's it going, man? And not too bad. We're opening up up here finally. So, uh, you know, we got the worst of it a couple of months ago with COVID and everything was closed for an extended period of time. And now the weather's beautiful and my kids are playing baseball. So I'm out there a lot watching those guys play <laughs> baseball and softball and T-ball. So um, T-ball practice was tonight, which is really kind of like herding cats. But it's fun to see them, fun to see them growing, fun to get outside, fun to see other kids. So uh, hopefully you guys can do that soon and don't have to don't have to go into lockdown mode down there in Florida. Yeah, we'll see. Bars have shut down again here in Jacksonville uh, with, with all that going on. So, uh, you know, big 4th of July weekend coming up, too. So hopefully you get to enjoy that with your family. I'll be working on, on Saturday. I usually work the 4th of July for the TV station. I, I can't complain too much in, in, in the world of TV. If you only have to work one holiday, it's it, that's a blessing. <laughs> so uh, when I first started in the TV business, I was working Christmas. I was working Thanksgiving. I, you know, it was the newbie. Uh, so you worked all the holidays, but this is the only one that I that I have to work. You know, it it, uh, it stinks. I don't get to watch fireworks with with, with Hadley, my daughter Hadley. Um, you know, I haven't got to do that yet because I've worked every Fourth of July since she's been born. But uh, like I said, I can't complain that it's the uh, that it's the only holiday that I work. Well, this is why you gravitate to sports because you're familiar with the new guy getting hazed. Yeah. So, <laughs> so apparently it's the same way in the news business as it is in sports. Like setting that young guy up for Christmas. He doesn't have any family. So. But uh, no, I mean, we'll have a good time up here. I'm sure we'll drink too much and eat too much. But, uh, you know, I, I think more than anything, Fourth of July is almost a signal that camps are about to start, that, that really we're starting to buckle down for the fall. And, you know, for you and I, it ends up being after – July 4th, everything picks up and, and, uh, it, it's time to get going. So it's sort of chomping at the bit now for, uh, for football season to start to see whether, uh, whether Sankey will give everybody the go ahead and whether we can get the season going. Yeah. I kind of announced today that we kind of already knew SEC media days wasn't going to uh, happen, uh, in its normal stance. Now they've gotten, that's gotten delayed and postponed. We'll kind of see, I think, um, I think it's kind of up in the air when these teams will start practicing a good bit. So I think you know the players and the coaches could be busy uh, at, at some point uh, where they don't want to break away because usually it's the media days is about the week before fall camp starts. So uh, I think with everything kind of up in the air, they're just postponed it uh, and uh, we'll get our answer uh, there. I say, you know, he did say last week they hope to have a full answer, an ultimate determination for the season late July. So I'd probably look for something late July, early August, uh, as far as SEC media days go. But, well, you know, uh, this episode, a uh, pretty good episode here, I think. Uh, you know, Florida's talent might not be on par with Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, but uh, some metrics out there, Will, there is enough talent for Florida to go Pete 
co- to go compete for titles. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been talking about it all offseason that the returning guys who are coming back combined with Mullen's ability to scheme on the field and then combined with maybe a few key additions, particularly those guys through the transfer portal, gives you some hope that Florida's going to be able to compete along with when you combine that with, with the Gators' schedule this year, maybe gives them a little bit more leeway than they might have had last year or two years ago. So, yeah, I think we look at it and we say Florida's really got an opportunity here. They're going to have to take advantage of it, obviously. And some of these guys that we're going to talk about and where they're predicted to, to finish on these all-SEC teams or, or even all-America teams are going to need to come through and, and hit that and can't probably suffer a bunch of injuries. But but Florida's, you know, I, I think we talked about it last week a little bit with, with the group that, um, you know, I was a little bit surprised that I couldn't get couldn't go the floor couldn't go the Georgia guys into coming on to sing the alma mater if, uh, <laughs> if if Georgia lost the game and I think that's indicative of people recognize that Mullen is a good coach that he's built something pretty successful here in Gainesville and that uh, this is really maybe the year to get a team like Georgia and so you know they weren't necessarily willing to put uh, to put any money on it and, that, and that's fine right it, it <laughs> makes me feel good actually that people from other teams are looking at the Gators and saying hey there's an opportunity here Florida it's 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 not a it's not a seventy thirty proposition. It's a fifty fifty proposition. Um, you know, and I don't, don't want to end up on Gators breakdown singing the Florida alma mater if I'm a Georgia fan. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think they got an opportunity as good as anybody really. And the, the nice part is, you win the SEC, you're playing for the title. So and sometimes yeah. even when you finish second in the SEC, you're playing for the title. So Florida has that opportunity, and you know we'll have to see whether they can take advantage of it. Yeah, as Will said, we'll take a look. Uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago, we. We dove into the preseason magazines, Will, and next year I will remember it's going to be multiple episodes. So <laughs> it will not be one episode when we talk about preseason magazines. So we did kind of the wide scope team previews and then uh, now kind of more into particular players uh, and how the players look uh, as well. But um, before we get there, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform and follow Gators Breakdown on social media and Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So let's start wide here, Will, in the national All-American list with these preview magazines. Athlon All-American team, All-American teams list Kyle Pitts as a third-team tight end and the only Gator on their All-American list. Lindy's All-American team lists Kyle Pitts as the second-team All-American and the only Gator on their list as well as far as national All-Americans go. Well, probably not really a surprise, uh, honestly, if you sit and think about it. Um, you know, if that, you know, Kyle Pitts, only preseason All-American in, in these publications. Pitts is getting hyped up uh, this offseason. Seems like every week I see some uh, NFL scout posting or, or talking about his performance versus LSU or Georgia. Uh, if his blocking was improved, he'd probably be the first tight end listed here. But you know he's such a threat as a receiver that it overcomes his blocking, uh, you know, liability sometimes. I think he got better there later on in the season. But look, he's done enough uh, to get noticed. Uh, anytime you hear Kyle Trask's name, you hear Kyle Pitts' name as well. Uh, he's probably looked at right now as the Gators. Right now, if you look at mock drafts, only Gators' first round selection going into next year as well. So, you're not really a surprise um, as far as preseason lists go. Uh, that Kyle Pitts is the only All-American for the Gators. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's actually interesting. I, I, I suspect that, that Pitts may end up taking a step back this year, not because he's a worse player, but because Mullen tends to spread the ball around and 
the other guys are going to get involved, and really defenses are going to be geared to stop Pitts this year. That's maybe the reason why you wouldn't have him as as the best tight end in the in the country. But I mean, he does so much for the offense because he draws so much attention. You even saw that in the LSU game where Van Jefferson came out in that second half and had a big second half because Pitts had had a big first half, and all of a sudden LSU was being forced to bracket Pitts on one side of the field. Mullen split out Jefferson on the other side, and all of a sudden he was he was one on one against Stingley there, the true freshman for. LSU last year so Pitts whether or not he catches a ball he's got a gravity to him it's a lot like you know I I use Warriors analogies a lot when I'm talking about football and the Golden State Warriors with with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson they have so much gravity that all of a sudden it opens up things for guys like Draymond Green and 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 even in some respects Durant when he was there and I think it's the same thing with Florida when you've got Kyle Pitts out there um, you know, it opens up things for other guys. So guys like Keon Zipperer may have an opportunity to step up. Mm-hmm. Um, Damian Pierce or Lorenzo Lingard, if they have an ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, they're going to get an opportunity to do that. And then obviously Kadarius Tony, Jacob Copeland, and, uh, and uh, Trevon Grimes are going to have opportunities to shine because they're going to get one-on-one coverage because of Pitt. So I think this is sort of a recognition that if Florida doesn't get another – guy to step up in the same way that they had Van Jefferson really be a good compliment to to Kyle Pitts last year. The Pitts is going to get a lot of double teams and Trask goes to the right place with the ball. At least that's what he proved last year. And so he's going to go elsewhere other than Pitts if, if he ends up getting bracketed. Yeah, and what we have to remember with these All-American lists, Will, and the ones that are in these magazines right now, they're preseason. So right now, of course, we could we could certainly see players like Kyle Trask and Kyrie Elam or a pass rusher like Brenton Cox, Jeremiah Moon on a, on a postseason list. You know, but but with quarterbacks out there like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, you know, Trask is certainly going to be behind those guys. Uh, but you know, it, it's open season uh, after that as far as quarterbacks go. Uh, I don't get the Sam Ellinger and Ian Book love fest over Trask. You can make arguments for those guys, I guess, because of a, of a longer track record, more experience out there. Uh, but you know, Athlon lists Florida as having the twelfth best quarterback unit. Georgia comes in at eleven, while Lindy's um, lists Kyle Trask as the fourteenth top quarterback in the country uh, so I don't know if there's 13 better quarterbacks uh, Jamie Newman being one of them <laughs> that is in front of of Kyle Trask to kind of continue on our, our, our Georgia train from last week uh, but I mean for you know for Kyrie Elam in particular most of the nation just hasn't seen enough of him and you're not going to you know he's, he hasn't done enough yet to warrant a preseason list. Now I think he'll go out there and improve his worth during the season. You might see him on some postseason lists, but going into his season, uh, he's a player to watch. Uh, and, and you know Todd Grantham's going to find a pass rusher that that gets to the quarterback much like he did with Jakai Polite two years ago, Jabari Zuniga two years ago, and last year to an extent. Jonathan Grenard comes in as a transfer, and all, and he's on postseason list this past year. So you know you, you may see. A pass rusher on a postseason list. Is that Brenton Cox, Jeremiah Moon, Mamu Diabate, Zach Carter getting some love, uh, Chris Bogle? You can bet someone from, from that Gator, uh, from this Gator defense, will be up there in sack numbers. So, you know, I'm going to give Cole Kubica a couple of shout outs this episode. And the first one here is he tweeted out returning sack numbers for this coming season, and the Gators returned a SEC leading 28 and a half sacks. 49 sacks last year, and they returned 28 and a half. That's with Grenard gone, Zuniga gone. Yeah, four and a half each for Zach Carter and Diabate. Houston with 3.5. Ventrell Miller with three. Jeremiah Moon with three. So, well, the only reservation I have for a pass rusher, I don't know if they find another dominant pass rusher, one that gets the sacks like Jacopo Light, Jabari Zuniga, and Jonathan Grenard. It may be a, a committee where a lot of guys have a lot of sacks. 
Maybe. I mean, that's what we said last year, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we said it was going to be hard to replace Ja'Kai Polite, that he had a year that was pretty transcendent, and then all of a sudden Grenard came in, and all of a sudden nobody remembered Ja'Kai Polite at all <laughs> because Grenard was so good and was really you know one of the irreplaceable cogs on that defense. And then you had Zaniga get injured, and obviously those other guys had to step in. One one interesting thing I did see was that the Sporting News has, has Tadarell Slayton on their All-American yeah. team, and I think that's an interesting pick. He did really start to play better towards the back end of the year. He's obviously going to get pushed by Gravon Dexter there at, at defensive tackle. That, that guy's a big-time big, big time talent who's probably going to push for playing time as well. But if Slayton can continue what he did last year up front, I think that sort of sets the whole tone. I mean, the, the reality is, is when you're playing a 3-4, the defensive tackle has to take um, two offensive linemen. If he mm-hmm. can take two offensive linemen, then all of a sudden that frees up guys on the outside. And Florida hasn't had that. At any time since Grantham has been here, the guy up front who's really dominant and is able to occupy those two blockers, which means that those defensive ends have been getting to the quarterback because of scheme and then because of their individual skill. If Slayton can really step up on the inside, then that frees up guys like Cox, guys like Carter on the outside to be in one-on-one, guys like Diabate coming off the edge, to be in one-on-one matchups. And those are the types of matchups that those guys are going to be able to win. Whereas maybe, you know, Grenard was able to shed a double team last year. I don't know whether that's a fair expectation for a guy like Carter. But, again, if Slayton or Dexter up front can really make a, a significant push, then I think that aids the guys on the outside and, and really sort of frees up um, Grantham to do some things that he hasn't been able to do the last couple of years. I know one of the things that Gator fans have been frustrated by is the lack of pressure on Jake Fromm. Well, some of that just comes from the fact that defensive tackles haven't been able to get a push to get up into the face. We haven't seen a lot of sacks from defensive tackles. So I thought it was interesting that the Sporting News had had TJ Slayton there as, a, as an All-American because – have if he does fulfill that potential, then Florida's defense can be much, much better because of it. All right, and we'll take a look at the national unit rankings here. You know, they scope out the um, nation's best unit rankings: a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, uh, and break them in like that. Athlon has Florida's the twelfth best quarterback unit, tenth best wide receiver unit in the country, ninth best defensive line in the country, sixth best DB unit in the country. Uh, Lindy's not as kind to the Gators as Florida isn't ranked in their top 10 of the offensive backfield, wide receiver, or offensive line unit rankings. And the only defensive unit ranked in the top 10 is defensive backs at four. So Lindy's does list Kyle Trask, as I said earlier, the 14th best quarterback out of their top 25 best quarterbacks in the country. No single Gator wide receivers in their top 20, but have Kyle Pitts as the second best tight end behind Penn State's Pat Firmuth. Um, and as a unit, Lindy's list, no Gators offensive unit in its unit rankings, but no surprise, Trask and Pitts are listed as top skill players at their positions, Will. Uh, so, you know, up there uh, for, for, for those guys. And um, let me mention earlier, Athlon list, Florida's defensive line, not best in the country, secondary sixth best in the country. Um, you know, and we know they're uh, defensive back better than safety, but Florida's still getting a lot of love uh, for Kyrie Elam, Marco Wilson, Amari Bernie to an extent as well as a lot of these previews uh, magazines solicited him as a nickel back. Uh, Lindy's has the DB unit ranked sixth in the country, uh, and Lindy's has uh, Kyrie Elam already. He is getting some love, Will, here as the ninth best DB in college football already, Kyrie Elam. Uh, so, is getting some notice, especially for that late, you know, the Orange Bowl playing so well in that game. The national TV getters the only uh, game on TV that night versus Virginia. He makes the game ceiling interception. I'm sure he turned a lot of heads there for people who weren't really familiar uh, with Florida. With all the questions surrounding the safety position, Will, 
Gator's still bringing in a pretty good secondary overall, according to these publications. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that the rankings that you sort of ran down there indicate a lot of what I think um, – a lot of what I think about Florida's team this year is that they're good in a lot of different positions. I'm not sure they're great yeah. at any one position. And so they're going to have to string good performances together to end up being an elite team. But, I mean, you know, we're talking about a top 25 offense from last year with a guy who's returning in Trask who, who just with any semblance of a run game, you figure is going to be much, much better. And then you figure they're also returning a top 20 defense. And, yeah, they're losing Zaniga and Grenard, but those guys were injured a lot last year. And the guys who were going out there, I mean, C.J. Henderson, obviously, as well as the defensive back. But, but if Elam's able to step up, you really don't miss a beat in the defensive backfield. I think guys like Tyron Hopper, even guys like Derek Wingo at linebacker to give them a little bit more athleticism, um, I, I can see why people would think that that would be an upgrade there. And then again, we already mentioned Slayton Dexter at defensive tackle potentially being an upgrade over the guys who were playing last year as well. So, And um, before you go there, Will, I mean, and I'll mention it in the SEC thing, but Kyrie Campbell's getting a whole lot of love too. Yeah, so I mean, you know, they're going to have a pretty decent rotation up front at the tackle position. And, and the funny thing is, I'm not sure we've had a rotation at the tackle position <laughs> since like Sharif Floyd and Dominique Easley were there playing. And, and now, you you know, we've got guys who are going to be rotating in, guys who are going to be difference makers. And, and that maybe is the thing that, that Mullen's going to have to find this year, or Grantham's going to have to find this year is, you know, there's been a lot of talk, I think, about Kadarius Tony and can he take that next step to be a difference maker? Trevon Grimes, I really expected him to take that step last year and he, and he was okay, but he wasn't, he wasn't a true difference maker on offense if he can take that step. That's really what Florida's been missing, right? I mean, when you need that dagger, when you need the guy who the offense is kind of sputtering and it's, you know, third and four, instead of just getting the first down, the guy who takes it for a touchdown. Or on the defensive side of the ball, when you're just not getting pressure and you're getting driven on and all that sort of stuff, who's the guy at defensive tackle who's going to blow up the guard and, and you know, force the quarterback into a bad interception because he gets right into his face? And we haven't seen that a lot last year especially or the last couple of years especially against elite opponents. And so that's really, I think, going to be the, the key for Florida to take that next step this year is, is keeping those solid performances across the board, but then having one or two guys who really steps up from being just solid or good to elite. All right, now something next we'll get into, Will, and some people may see contradictory in a way, as we'll see. Athlon lists Kyle Trask at top 20 uh, for, on, on their husband watch. Uh, so, you know, if you want to look at that, Heisman is a quarterback award, you know, mostly, and running backs get the, get some love too, but, you know, it's a quarterback award so for all intents and purposes right now when you want to look at it. So it's kind of how it looks. But, you know, one reason I say maybe contradictory, if Kyle Trask is in top 20 uh, in the Heisman, in Athlon's Heisman ballot, well, he's nowhere to be found in uh, Athlon's top 50 college football players. And, in fact, there are no Gators listed in the top 50 of Athlon football, uh, college football players and kind of will the point you were speaking of. And then also when you want to compare Alabama and Georgia, you know, this is maybe where you won't consider Florida's roster elite, but, you know, we'll get into 24-7 uh, sports later and, you know, and, and their percentages of Florida's blue chip ratio. And, and that's why you can uh, – one metric that you can use to have Florida going on a title run. But as far as, you know, the top 50 players in college football, Athlon – uh, doesn't see any Gators on the list. Notables, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Fields, one and two. No surprise there. Derek Stingley at four. Jamar Chase at five. So two LSU guys there. 
Now, and then at 12, you go on a string for Alabama guys, uh, r- Bama running back Najee Harris, and then also for Bama, Devontae Smith at 16, Dylan Moses at 17, Patrick Sertain at 18, Alex Leatherwood at 20th. That's what we mean by it's being it, it's different in the SEC, Will. You know, if Florida makes it to Atlanta, then you possibly get a team with five of the top 20 players in all of college football when you don't have one according to these rankings. Yeah, I mean, so the Heisman stuff you talked about a little bit earlier, I think, is more along the lines of people think Florida has the opportunity to make a deep run. And if the Gators make a deep run, then obviously the quarterback is going to get rewarded for it, whether he's played at an elite Heisman level or not, right? I mean, we saw that with Eric Crouch in 2001 with Nebraska. We've seen that with other guys in the past where they've placed very, very high in the Heisman ranking, even though maybe they weren't necessarily carrying their team. But I think it's also a recognition that Florida probably needs Trask to carry the team a little bit. Like The guy who can be the biggest difference maker this year for Florida is the quarterback. And if, if Trask goes from being you know, not a, not a game manager, but goes from being a guy who's converting third downs to a guy who's really just, you hope he's got the ball late in the fourth quarter, then... Um, you know, then I think Florida makes a significant leap. And last year, that wasn't the case, right? I mean, we had those two long drives in the games where Florida lost, where um, it looked like Florida was just sort of taking what the defense gave them, and they ran off five or six minutes against, uh, you know, against LSU and against and against Georgia, and that sort of sealed their fate in those games. You really sort of hope he's able to step up and, and make those two-minute drives with you know, seven minutes left, so the defense has an opportunity to, to turn the ball around. But, yeah, I mean, th- this is the, this is part and parcel to all the recruiting we've been talking about. And, and one of the things, we're going to talk about blue chips later, but dividing it up a little bit even more granular where you're talking about top 30 guys, top 50 guys, top 100 guys. Florida has gotten a few of those when it's, when it's come to recruiting, but they haven't gotten as many as teams like Alabama and LSU and Georgia and, and – and it, the recruiting game is a percentages game. So, you know, if you get two top 20 guys, chances are one of those guys is going to turn out being a really, really, really good player. And that's sort of what's happened at Alabama. Except that for Alabama, Saban, you know, Saban signs eight top 100 guys every year. And so mm-hmm. it's not a surprise you'd have five, six, seven, eight guys in the top 50s just because that's what his recruiting indicates that he would have. So Florida obviously hasn't had that yet. That's not the end of the world. But it does mean that when you look at these preseason rankings, you know, nobody is looking at the pedigree of Florida's recruits and saying, oh, this guy's going to be outstanding. At the same time, you don't need everybody to be an All-American. So Ethan White, if he steps in this year at right guard and all of a sudden is playing um, you know, at a higher level than he was at the end of last year, well, that's a significant upgrade over the, Chris, over the way Chris Bleich was playing early in the year last year. So you know, just the upgrades – you know, marginal upgrades at each of the spots where Florida was weak are going to be able to make this a better team. And um, let's be honest, I think that Mullen has been able to show that he can scheme with the best of them and and put defenses in position where they've got to defend things they don't necessarily want to defend. And so you don't necessarily have to have the absolute best guy at every position to win that way. But certainly it does help. Yeah, and, and you know, preseason lists are, are just that. Uh, I'd like to go back and look and see how many LSU guys were top 50 going into last year. <laughs> so, you know, you have coaching changes and scheme changes, and you look, no, Joe Burrow wasn't in the top 50 last year and was the best player in college football uh, last year. And, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire at, at running back ended up being one of the best running backs in the nation. And a lot of those wide receivers for LSU weren't getting the love that they ended up getting during the season as well. So, of course, these things will change. You know, this is just a look going into the season. Uh, not, you know, no, nothing set in stone here, uh, of course. So, kind of uh, some notables uh, to round out the 
uh, their top 50 players here. FSU defensive tackle Marvin Wilson coming up 14th. Tennessee, Trey Smith, offensive lineman there, 26th. Uh, Jalen Waddell, 31 for Bama. Miami defensive end Quincy Roach transfers in, and he's the 38th ranked player according to uh, Athlon. Jamie Newman at 43. Uh, Richard LeCount at 45 for Georgia. And Miami quarterback Derek King ranks 48th. Everybody knows his connection to Kyle Trask. He was the starter uh, at the same high school Kyle Trask uh, went to. Uh, So... I think you can make a case for Kyle Trask and not Jamie Newman uh, should be on the list, Will, uh, if you want to kind of you know break it into this. Kyle Pitts, to me, is definitely one of the top 50 players in college football as well. So I look at this list and I can see two Gators uh, on the top 50. We've kind of you know already talked about the, these guys, Trask uh, and, uh, and Pitts here. But when, you, when I see Jamie Newman on the list, you know, it, it's going to irk me every time <laughs> until I see it. Um, so look, we discussed it last week, last week's episode uh, as well. But, you know, Jamie Newman is on the list, and I think uh, one Kyle Trask could be on the list as well. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think maybe that's <laughs> – you should have taken that up with Brayden last week. Yeah, I should, fun, yeah, but, yeah, uh, that's the one I should have pointed out. I, I suspect, though, that if he, were, if he were being honest, he'd say that those guys were guys who just missed the cut. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, you know, one of the things about Florida – under Mullen is that you're not going to have a wide receiver who catches 80 balls. Mm-hmm. I mean, LSU was a little bit of outlier because they had two guys who caught 80 balls last year. But, you know, for the most part, you're going to have guys who catch 30, 35, 40 balls. And that's going to be the that's going to be the height of what happens because the minute Kyle Pitts starts showing that he's able to take over a game, the defense is going to adjust. And when the defense adjusts, one of the things that was really good to see from Kyle Trask last year is a willingness to then throw the ball to P. Ryan or throw the ball to Jefferson or throw the ball to Swain. And those guys were able to step up so I suspect that it's not going to be a hey just force the ball into Kadarius Tony it's going to be is Tony open because of the scheme and because of the play call and because of the defensive alignment and if he is the ball go to Tony if it's not it won't and that's going to be the same thing with Pitts and the same thing with with Grimes so um, that's the difference with a receiver like you know everybody wants to keep bringing up Percy Harvin and how he's replaceable you know that, that receiver in a damn Mullen offense it was because of what else he could do besides be a receiver well, I mean, the the other thing is is that Percy Harvin comes along, right? You know, yeah. a, a Percy Harvin comes. I mean, you know, we're having arguments. But I'm just saying, on, in your scenario, that, to me, that's probably the only way you get a receiver in a damn Mullen offense is one that can do something else as well. Well, he's tried that with Tony a little bit. He's put him yeah. in the backfield and he's handed it off to him. And I mean, the reality is, there's Canaries Tony is a really good player, but there are. There is no comparison when you compare him to Percy Harvin. I mean, Percy Harvin, we're comparing with some of the best wide receivers who've ever played the game. I mean, you know, guys like Peter Warwick and and his ilk, as opposed to, you know, guys who are in the game today. So I, I think that there are arguments to be made that probably Pitts maybe should be in the top 50, especially, like you said, if he's improved his blocking. Um, you know, that's obviously going to make Florida – much, much better. And then you figure that Florida's offensive line is going to be better, which should open some things up mm-hmm. as well. I mean, last year they were using pits to open up things because they couldn't run the ball. So they were using five wide sets and putting pits and P Ryan out wide just to try to get the defense to declare what they were going to do. Um, this year, the hope is, is that they're going to be able to run the ball effectively to where they'll be able to disguise some of the things they want to do because of it. And maybe that'll open some stuff up for Pitts as opposed to closing it from some of the formations that they had last year. So there's going to be an opportunity. I, I think, again, you mentioned that this is just the preseason, so it doesn't really matter. Um, if anything, maybe we want the Gators to not be on the preseason list because it'll tick them off and they'll be ready to go <laughs> when, when the season comes. But the other thing is the schedule, I do think, makes a difference. I mean, these guys are going to have an opportunity to put up some stats because they're not necessarily necessarily going to be playing the 
um, the highest level of competition, at least compared to what they played last year. Though I think that that trip to Ole Miss is going to be an interesting one. That's one to watch. But uh, you know, they right, they should get into schedule stuff. That that trip does not scare me whatsoever. For some reason, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> we'll we'll see. I uh, eh, I'm on the lane train a little bit, man. I think he's going to make them better. But uh, oh, I do too. Eventually, just not your one. <laughs> <laughs> well, but again, that's a good point, right? That you get them relatively. I mean, yeah. midway through midway through the year. Um, and and it's year one of Lane Kiffin, and so we'll see what he can do. But again, and hopefully Mullen still has some hate left over from his Mississippi State days. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Mullen seems to be pretty vindictive. He he hasn't. Yeah. He, what, you know, Urban Meyer called those timeouts at the end of the Georgia game after they uh, after they embarrassed Florida the year before. Mullen seems to have a little bit of that in him too, which. Um, you know, when you're not beating Georgia can be a little bit, you know, I think people yeah. look at and think it's a little bit of bravado, but um, the minute he beats Georgia, then it'll be like Spurrier just beating him like a drum and then talking about it afterwards. So hopefully we get to experience that this year instead of the, uh, instead of the other way around. All right. So let's uh, focus on the SEC and where Florida ranks that, you know, we just did a national look there and you know, not, not a whole lot of Florida love, but uh, gets ramped up a bit here in the SEC. Uh, and so we'll start with the SEC unit rankings, and we'll start with Athlon. And, well, here we go. I'll just run it down quickly here. So Florida, second-ranked quarterback unit in the SEC, only behind. Athlon loves them some Jamie Newman in Georgia. So Georgia 1 and Florida 2 as far as quarterbacks go. The big dip. Here we go, Will. 11th for the Gators at running back. Uh, so big change from a year ago. I'll get into where Florida was ranked a year ago as well uh, in these rankings. But the 11th best running back unit, I'm not sure. I doubt Athlon counts Lorenzo Lingard in here. Even you know, even if he did, he didn't you know do much at Miami beforehand. I think we're all excited about his potential uh, there. So Florida may have got bumped up 10th to the 9th or something like that. But 11th overall in Athlon's rankings for running backs. Third for wide receivers and tight ends. And seventh on the offensive line, Will. So, you know, I'll concentrate on the offense there. So, two for quarterbacks, the 11th-ranked unit at running back, third-ranked unit at wide receiver tight end, and seventh offensive line. And if I move to Lindy's, same thing there, Georgia 1, Florida 2 at quarterbacks. Uh, give Florida a little bit more love at running back at, at, at number nine there. Lindy's did come out later, so I'm pretty sure they're throwing Lorenzo Lingard in there. So maybe where the difference comes from 11th to 9th uh, for their receivers. Uh, Florida receivers tied in seven uh, in, in Lindy's. In the offensive line, they have Florida eight there, pretty similar um, to uh, one spot behind uh, Athlon. So, Will, you want to take a look at it like that? At least, uh, you know, running back, offensive line, below average there for, for the SEC, below the halfway mark. So, uh, looked at as, you know, going into the season, one of the SEC's worst rushing marks, definitely going back and looking at last year and the struggles there. Uh, but we said it time and time again, at least uh, the Gators you know, in the top two in both publications here at the quarterback position, the most important uh, position in sports here. So it should carry the Gators uh, a long way. But we do know, uh, looking at these running back and offensive line unit rankings here in the SEC, comparing them to your peers here, that's where the Gators have to get better. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think they have, right? I mean, I, I'm assuming they don't have Stuart Reese in those rankings. Um, uh, Lindy's uh, does, but maybe not in the unit rankings, but they do mention him in their preview. But I'm pretty sure in the unit rankings they probably don't. 
Yeah, so I mean that makes a big difference, and then you've yeah. got and then you've got Braun, and you've got some other guys coming in as well who are probably going to be able to be able to make a difference for the Gators. So I I, I think the offensive line is going to be better. I don't know that they're going to be like a top tier offensive line in the no. SEC, but I don't think they're going to be a bottom tier. I mean, you know, we're not talking Vanderbilt level crappy. We're talking <laughs> we're talking like you know, Ole Miss or Mississippi State level crappy. So um, you know, if if they're middle of the road, I think that's a significant upgrade this year. I think you'll see it. In the running backs and and last year's running back ranking, at the end of the year, you would look back and said the reason the running backs are valued is because P. Ryan was out there catching the ball. Um, I do think that Damian Pierce has a very different running style Mm -hmm. than we saw with LaMichael P. Ryan last year. I think that running style fits Florida and what Dan Mullen wants to do probably a little bit better. Um, You just hit the hole and go as opposed to dance around a little bit. and you know that that's obviously predicated on having a hole, <laughs> and I think the offensive line is going to be better at giving them some holes. I I don't know that they need to be elite on the offensive line, at least in the running game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think what they need to be able to do is open up enough holes to make the defense be honest, so that Trask can take advantage of it over the top. And that's one of the things they really couldn't do against elite teams last year. If you looked at the games, the game specifically against Georgia. Um, Georgia was able to really squeeze the running game, squeeze Trask, and force him to make throws he wasn't comfortable making, got Florida into some third downs, and maybe had him take a couple of sacks that he wouldn't have otherwise. And, and that's sort of the uh, – you know, that, that I think is where we hope we see growth from Trask and hope we see growth from this offensive line. Well, Cole Kublik, uh, Will, uh, did. He came out with his own offensive line rankings, SEC Network analyst there, and he had the Gators fifth best offensive line behind Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Georgia. While these magazines have the Gators offensive line ranked seventh and eighth, Cole Kublik, I know a couple of years ago, as soon as he tweeted that, a lot of people pointed out uh, in Jim McElwain's last year, where I think he had Florida's offensive line top three in the conference or something like that. A lot of people remember that, but that was a whole different circumstance. We knew everything that happened in 2017. I'm not, I wouldn't jump too hard on Cole Kubik about having Florida's offensive line ranked high that year. That was pretty much the same guys that turned around and had a pretty good offensive line by the time 2018 ended in Dan Mullen's first year. So maybe Cole Kubik was a year ahead and thought the coaching would have been a much, much better in 2017 when he gave that lofty ranking to Florida's offensive line. But here we are in 2020, and he has the, the Gators the fifth best offensive line behind Alabama. Tennessee, Kentucky, and Georgia. So if that is the case, Will, and I made sure that when I retweeted that tweet, if that's the case, if we sit here and by the end of the season, if you if you kind of look back at these teams and say, hey, you know what? Florida had the fifth best offensive line in the SEC behind those teams. Florida's going to be in Atlanta. Mm, I mean, I, I think that's about right for the offensive line. I, I think there are um, – I mean, a lot of it depends on how the offensive line – holds up against Georgia, yeah. right? I mean, they can be statistically the best offensive line in the SEC. If they can't hold up against an elite defense, then you're going to – then I don't know that I'm going to predict them to be in Atlanta. <laughs> I think fifth or sixth is about right. I think it's hard to – I think it was hard for me to believe last year that the offensive line was as bad as it was in, in relation to the SEC brethren just because – And but before know, you go further, Will, going into last year, Athlon had Florida's offensive line 10th in the SEC and Lindy's had them 6th. So. All right, so there was a little bit of discrepancy there. But, no. it, it, you know, John Havasey's a pretty good coach, and he's got a pretty good history of getting things coached up. I think the fact that, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that they did lose Noah Banks during the during the offseason because of an injury, and then they lost Blake halfway through the year, maybe three-quarters of the way through the year. And you suspect that's because he wasn't real happy about losing playing time. But, 
you know, the fact that you've got your right guard losing playing time to, to guys who are younger, especially true freshmen, and then that you have a guy like Banks who can't play because of injury, um, you know, that's going to impact you, and, and that's what we saw. So I think Florida has reinforced depth on the offensive line. I think they've reinforced the ability to have competition. And I think, for the most part, the talent profile of the guys that they have up front is going to be a middle-of-the-road SEC um, a middle of the road SEC team, regardless of of who's out there. At least that's my expectations that they should be, and uh, you know I, I think that's probably what we'll see. I I, th- I actually think the offensive line for, I mean, if the defense is equivalent to what it was last year, the offensive line is going to have to be better than fifth mm-hmm. in order to guarantee a trip to Atlanta. Um, the only way that's not the case is if Georgia struggles with Newman and you know loses to maybe Alabama and Auburn, and then Florida can kind of sneak in even with a loss. But you know that that game against Georgia is not it's not seventy thirty in Florida's advantage. I mean that's something where yeah. Florida's going to have to go in and win it, and to win it against an elite defense, I think they are going to have to hold up up front. But the good news is that's towards the end of the year. So you know if the offensive line starts out kind of average, but can build up to being above average by the time you get to by the time you get to Jacksonville, then certainly Florida has a shot. Yeah, the biggest difference I saw from last year uh, to this year, of course, last year Athlon had Florida's running back uh, core, running back unit third, and as I mentioned, tenth this year. So a drop of seven spots in the SEC. You know, a lot of factors into that. You know, what happens with other teams as well. That's kind of you know one reason Florida's so high at quarterback. Last year they were fourth in, in Athlon. You know, with Felipe Franks leading the way this year too with Kyle Trask, but also you don't have. Uh, Jake Fromm, Tua, Joe Burrow uh, dealing with uh, as well. So go to defense uh, here for the Gators. And um, defensive line, third, Will, only behind Georgia and Alabama. Linebacker, nine, you can kind of understand that. And defensive back, third uh, in the SEC, according to Lindy's. Uh, or Athlon there. If you go to Lindy's here, uh, fifth defensive line in the SEC for the Gators. Nine at linebacker as well there. And number three for the secondary and special teams, they have Florida at, at five. So definitely top half of for the SEC for defensive line and the secondary linebackers, both at, at nine in both publications. And, Will, you kind of alluded to it earlier. You know, you'd like to see maybe a player like Derek Wingo get on the field uh, and, and show his athleticism. Mamou Diabate can get maybe shifted to some linebacker play uh, as well, you know, you go look at pure numbers, and you know we, we are stats guys, but we we tend to look at stats and, and break it down and, and make it make sense, you know. And, and the Ventro Miller's up there leading the team in tackles, but we know the play can improve there. You know, it's not just about number of tackles at that linebacker spot. Yeah, I mean, I think Ventro Miller's been a pretty good player, but I think you know in the SEC you always need guys who can come in and back up and. And, you know, we're getting to a point now where the offenses are so specialized that having an every down linebacker is a pretty special thing. It requires a special kind of player. And Nick Saban maybe has one or two of those guys. Kirby Smart maybe has one or two of those guys. You know, Dan Mullen hopes he's brought in one or two of those guys, but we haven't seen him on the field yet. But guys like Hopper and Wingo have sort of the pedigree to be an every down linebacker, right? And so I suspect that what we will see is that Miller and, and, and Houston are going to get quite a bit of time, but then when it comes to coverage downs, when it comes to times when, when the rubber meets the road and you really need athleticism out there, a guy like Amari Bernie maybe slips in at the mm-hmm. linebacker position or, or 
you know, you just bring in an extra defensive back and have one linebacker out there. There's just going to be some things that they're going to do to minimize some of the weaknesses that maybe these guys have in coverage. But again, you, you don't, you don't get that many tackles without being around the ball, without being a sure tackler. And that's the other thing is that you bring in a smaller guy at linebacker or an inexperienced guy at linebacker, he misses one tackle and the ball gets taken to the house. We often, you know, I, th- I think we saw that a lot with the safeties last year too, is there was a lot of criticism of, of the guys back there deep, but, you know, for the most part, they were at least, you know, you think about Donovan Steiner. That's the one I particularly think of. He was almost always in the right position, not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's in the right position. And so does he, does he slow up the guy enough to where he doesn't take it to the house? Sometimes that's what you need the defense to do as opposed to, you know, coming in and making the bone jarring hit or, or separating the guy from the ball or, or making the pick. I mean, obviously you'd like those plays, but sometimes just being in the right place, making sure it turns into an eight yard gain instead of an 80 yard gain is, is the guy's responsibility. And so Miller, I think based on his experience, is going to be able to do that all right let's move to the all sec teams will and this is kind of where florida compares to alabama and georgia just right behind those two teams not at the top but if you want to take a look at at, at the teams uh and we'll start with lindy's here all sec first second and third team gators with nine players selected uh here on the first team you have kyle trask and kyle pitts and then four players on the second team. You have uh, place kicker Evan McPherson. And here we go, uh, Will Zachary Carter, a defensive end, second team, uh, All-SEC. Marco Wilson, a defensive back, Kyrie Elam as well. But So Marco Wilson and Kyrie Elam, both second team, All-SEC uh, in Lindy's. To round it out, Trevon Grimes is on wide receiver, third team. Kyrie Campbell on the defensive line, third team as well. And rounded out with Sean Davis, who gets uh, listed as a defensive back safety uh, third team uh, there for Lindy. So nine in total there um, uh, for Lindy's. Compare that to last year, where there were nine as well on, on first, second, and third team in Lindy. So nine and nine um, uh, for the last two years uh, for the Gators. Alabama with eight first team, Will, and nine total. Like I said, you know, Florida has the total Alabama has, but Alabama – Eight of them on first team. So there's the difference uh, when you're trying to look at it. But in uh, Alabama with, with uh, nine, Florida with nine, that is behind Georgia with the, their total of 10. Uh, but Georgia with only one first teamer with defensive back Richard LeCount there, seven second team teamers for Georgia, uh, kind of making up the difference. LSU with eight total, so one behind uh, Florida there. So here in Lindy's, uh, the Gators are only – only behind Georgia in all SEC selections and tied with Alabama. Like I said, the difference there is just not at the, the, the top elite talent you want to look at. Obviously, Alabama much more uh, top-heavy. Will, before you kind of move on and look at Adlon's first, second, and fourth team selections, Lindy's had, they had this thing called honor roll, and it's kind of going back to one of your points earlier uh, about Kyle Trask. And one honor roll, they give Kyle Trask two honor rolls here, one is the most accurate passer. I, not not going to surprise us here uh, with what he was able to do last year. The other honor roll for Kyle Trask was coolest in the clutch. So you look at the LSU and then you look at the Georgia games. LSU, yes, Florida lost that game. But to go into Death Valley at night in that scenario, his first road start played really well. You know, uh, played well enough for Florida to win that game. The Georgia game, yes, we mentioned the long drives there. Tried to lead a comeback late. Uh, their fall short there, but also will the first time he came in and the first in, in, in the 2019 season to come in that scenario against Kentucky, Felipe France goes down, Florida's offense not moving the ball all too well. Kyle Trask comes in, leads a comeback for the ages for the Gators and gets a victory there. 
uh, in his basically first meaningful play in time where you know, a game was on the line, Kyle Trask leads the Gators back. So I think you know, they're probably looking at that Kentucky game where he comes in and what he did at night in Death Valley and giving him that coolest in the clutch label there. Yeah, well, I mean, if nothing else, I mean, the guy sat at Florida and won the job, right? I mean, I think we were all a little bit surprised when, when Trask was the guy that Dan Mullen tapped <laughs> in that Kentucky game and then still surprised that Trask played for the entire year. I think if you'd have asked me at the beginning of last year, all right, Felipe Franks goes down against Kentucky and, you know, Florida's going to ride the rest of the year with one guy, I would have said it's going to be Emory Jones. But, you know, Trask has worked his butt off to make sure that he's the guy that Mullen picked, and, and, and that's what we saw. You know, cool under pressure can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Obviously, there were some anecdotal things with the way he played at, in Death Valley, the way he played against Kentucky. Those were very impressive. But the thing I look at is how consistent are you when things start to get a little bit tight? And mm. You know, I, I've mentioned this before, but he was on second and 10-plus. He completed 67% of his balls, 8.4 yards per attempt. On third and 10-plus, he completed 79% of his passes, 8.7 yards per tip. So he's better on third and 10-plus than he was on second and 10-plus. And when you compare that to Felipe Franks in 2018, Franks was just as good on second and 10-plus, a little bit less accurate, 58%, but he had 8.9 yards per attempt. But on third and 10-plus, 50% completion, 2.8 yards per attempt, and Mullen only trusted him to throw it on third and 10-plus 16 times, whereas Trask got an opportunity to throw it 28 times last year. So there was a little bit more trust from Mullen, certainly, in Trask on those third and longs than he did at least in his first year with Felipe Franks. And I think Trask, you know, Trask earned that earned that trust from Mullen because he played so much better in those particular situations. And and um, SEC StatCat has some really good stats where they break down how quickly a quarterback gets the ball out. And Trask was getting the ball out in like 2.3 seconds last year, which, mm-hmm. is, which is really, really lightning compared to Franks. I think Franks was at like 2.65 or something like that. Um, you know, so and, if good the offen- th- and good thing he was. <laughs> yeah, well, and that goes back to the offensive line conversation yeah. that we had earlier. I mean, the offensive line was porous last year. If the offensive line ends up fifth or sixth, well, now all of a sudden do you have an opportunity for Trask to go downfield more, step into his throws more, feel a little bit more comfortable um, or or does he get so comfortable that he takes some sacks and has some fumbles like he did early in the year <laughs> last year? You know, and and you don't know. I mean, there's obviously um, there's a double edged sword to Trask trying to take more chances. I think last year he was trained to take what the defense gives him. This year, if he tries to take a few more chances, it may really pay off for the Gators. But at the same time, you got to have the time to be able to do that. And so we'll see whether he's able to do it. All right, we'll move forward to Athlons, and they go through four teams. First, second, third, and fourth teams here. Uh, four teams deep compared to three in Lindy. So 10 total players last year for the Gators in Athlon, up to 11 this year. So add one for the Gators. Only one first-teamer, though, and that is tied in Kyle Pitts. Uh, second team, sure to catch some notice, as Kyle Trask at quarterback. But will Kadarius Tony listed as second-teamer all-purpose there in Lindy's? Uh, there, Kyer Elam, second team cornerback, the young quarterback, cornerback, DB, defensive back, getting some love there. Uh, four Gators on Athlon's third team uh, there. So that was Zachary Carter again at defensive line. Marco Wilson, Sean Davis, and Evan McPherson um, were a round out um, uh, the third team. And then uh, three on the fourth team as well, Trevon Grimes. And they also list uh, Stuart Reese. They have him as the Mississippi State. Uh, player, but they do list him as the fourth team. So, uh, of course, you know you get adding to the to, to the Gator one there too. His value probably upped a little bit uh, going going from Mississippi State uh, to Florida. So, 
Um, 11 total will here in Athlon. Um, as I said, to finish on the fourth team, Trevon Grimes, Stuart Reese, and Tadaryl Slayton gets listed as a fourth teamer, uh, all SEC uh, there in Athlon. So if you look at that, Bama had eight first teamers and 13 total. Georgia with 12 total, led by first teamers Jamie Newman and Richard LeCount. Uh, seven of the 12 for Georgia were second teamers in Athlon. Auburn had 10, LSU with nine selections overall. So as I said there, uh, Florida only behind Alabama and Georgia and Athlon's all SEC players. Well, the, the one, a couple things there. One thing I noticed, uh, and it was a shift here. Last year, there were no Gators on all SEC first-team offense and all the first-teamers were on defense in both publications. That was switched this year for both as well. There are no Gators on all SEC first-team defense and their own offense. So Dan Mullen was, you know, of course, hired uh, as an offensive uh, mind uh, to get in. And, uh, you know, Jim McElwain was too, but it didn't. He, he relied on Will Muschamp's defenses uh, to carry him his first two years. Uh, Florida fans wanted offense. They have gotten it in, in Dan Mullen. And somewhat of a shift here as far as the top talent goes, at least for the 2020 season, that your first teamers are on the offensive side of the ball and not the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, you know, we, we've come a long way since the second and long play action and focusing on the red zone when we can't even get there um, from the 2015, 16, and 17 Florida And Gators. if the offense would cater to a running quarterback, and we uh, knew it was, and we knew it wouldn't. Eh, you know, well, details, <laughs> details, Dave, details. But no, I mean, I, I think one of the things that's been really impressive is that is that Mullen has put his players in position to succeed. And, you know, you saw that with a limited guy in Felipe Franks a couple of years ago. I think you saw it a little bit because I'm sure, you know, Kyle Trask, for, for, in terms of running the ball, was limited last year. He still ran the ball every once in a while, but it was a much more limited subset of plays that he was asked to run. And then you brought in, uh, you know, and then he brought in Emory Jones when he needed something specific in the running game. Um, you know, so, yeah, I can understand why if Florida's going to get to where they need to get this year, the offense is going to have to have a couple of first teamers, right? I mean, somebody's going to mm-hmm. have to step up and be that guy who could be the difference maker. You hope it's Trask, and then you hope it's somebody like Grimes or Tony or maybe Pitts in some respects too, but he's going to be going over the middle a lot. So it's hard to really turn those into, you know, 80 yard plays, yeah. but, but you expect that that's what Florida's going to need to do. I mean, we're going to need to outscore some people and not, not necessarily because the defense is bad, but just because those are the kinds of games that Florida's going to have to win next year. And there's always one of those games, even, even in those years where Alabama had fantastic defenses, there was always one game where the defense was struggling to get off the field and the offense had to pick them up, and they've been able to do that. And, and next year I, I expect it to be much of the same, that there will be a couple of games where the defense struggles, the offense is going to have to pick them up. Likewise, there will probably be a couple of games where the offense struggles and the defense will have to pick them up. Um, I think that this list, though, I mean, it's interesting. When you go four teams deep, now you're talking 29% of the starters in the SEC. Yeah. <laughs> so you are naming you know one out of every three guys on, on each roster when you do that. But – I think it's reflective of what we said earlier, which is that Florida doesn't have necessarily that first team elite level talent nationwide or even really in the SEC, but they fill out the second, the third and the fourth team pretty significantly. And, and this is really a question of depth versus, Mm -hmm. versus elite, right? I mean, it's, it's Florida is going to have an awful lot of depth and that, and experience and that depth and experience is going to be up against guys who probably are slightly more talented. But, again, it's a question of development. It's a question of Dan Mullen's ability to get the most out of his players, put his players in the right position to succeed, have them with the right wristbands on, and, uh, you know, take out Georgia <laughs> this year. Touche. Touche. Uh, 
another metric will that we'll look at you know that was it for the publications that's uh you know we'll 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 take a look back into the preview magazines when uh we preview the opponents uh, for the 2020 season but uh kind of concludes our look at the athlon and lindy's that we do every year um I, you know two of my favorite publications that are there to get us ready uh for the college football season and something that made headlines recently will in the 24 7 sports blue trip ratio uh and this is another metric that shows florida it's a team that could compete for a national championship and 15 teams who can win a national title. And Florida's one of those teams. So we just gave you the talent on the roster as far as the publications view Florida and view them favorably. But uh, 24-7 sports research shows uh, that Florida is also one of those teams that can compete when looking at history of national championship winners. Uh, so this was written by Bud Elliott. A lot of people know him from his uh, Florida State coverage uh, back in the day. And he mentions... Uh, quote, this tracks the minimum required level of recruiting necessary to win a title and published to teams who have met the standard annually in my blue chip ratio article. Since its inception in 2013, it's been referenced in all major broadcast networks and referred to by head coaches. Quote, put simply, to win the national championship, college football teams need to sign more five and four star recruits, uh, also known as blue chips then two and three-star players over previous recruiting cycles. So uh, he says this has been um, truly basically as far back as modern internet recruiting rankings have existed. Uh, there's some more highlights here that he says this is a necessary but not sufficient condition. It does not guarantee a national championship, but a team not meeting it, it uh, not meeting it is almost certainly guaranteed not to win it all. And Will, that's kind of what we said uh, about recruiting. doesn't mean you'll win, but you ain't winning with that. <laughs> that's about the simplest way uh, to put it. And he says here, and we've said it here too, uh, this is not to say that development does not matter. It certainly does, but nobody wins a national title by player development in lieu of elite recruiting. Plenty of coaches who are regarded as elite have never sniffed winning at all because they can't get enough talent to do so. On the other hand, there are examples of coaches who are not regarded as premier head men who have won it all thanks to elite recruits. Um, Gene Chizik comes to mind there. So, <laughs> and his day, days at Auburn there. So, well, you know, and um, he says all scholarship signees count. Transfers and walk-ons do not. So even Florida's transfers here, uh, he's not counting that. So, you know, Florida gets help there uh, a bit when you want to look at that and, and not the percentage that Bud uh, goes to lead on about Florida. He does, he's not counting transfers and walk-ons. Uh, he has transfers, not junior college, are not governed by the same recruiting rules. And though... And though they're important, they are rarely consequential enough to turn a non-contender into a contender. Certainly happens sometimes, see Joe Burrow and Justin Fields. Uh, but for the most part, non-JUCO transfers are not huge impact players. So, you know, Florida has had some impact transfers. We know that. Ben Jefferson, Jonathan Gennard has made the team better uh, there. So, uh, but he says, additionally, they are not ranked on the 24-7 sports composite, which is the source of the recruiting data. Uh, Walk-ons are almost never Rated. So sticking with signees helps standardize the process. Well, so there we go. And when you want to look at these rankings here, um, blue chip ratio, 2020. And here we go. Alabama comes in at the top 83% of the roster for Alabama is four-star and five-star players. Georgia right behind at 82%. Ohio State, 80%. Texas at 64%. And then Florida is tied with a group of teams, LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Florida, all at 63% in the blue chip ratio here uh, for 2020. So, Will, 
the biggest thing you can tell Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, 83%, 82%, 80% of their roster is filled with blue chip, four-star, five-star players. They separated themselves a, a bit. Basically, Texas, LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, Florida, all grouped in together there as in a second tier. So you have a tier of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. Those teams are fighting for the SEC and college football playoff spots year in and year out. And then you have Texas, LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, Florida, course LSU Clemson recent history national championships there uh there so that does show you know according to this metric you know Florida does have uh, the talent to go p- compete for the SEC in a national championship yeah I mean the one thing that they're missing there I think is the quarterback play mm-hmm. um, that's really the one thing that has consistently driven those teams so I agree that you need that blue chip ratio to be able to to compete for the national championship obviously I believe in in recruiting significantly um, but I do think that one of the things that maybe is missing there is guys like Cam Newton make mm-hmm. that Auburn team go right guys like Tua Tagovailoa yeah. make Make Gene, Alabama Gene, Chizik, Gene Chizik wins a national championship because of Cam Newton. <laughs> well, and so, you know, I, I think that one of the things we need to recognize is that if you get elite quarterback play, that's when these teams that have um, – that's when these teams that have got that have talent profiles in the fifteen, you know, ten to fifteen national ranking have a shot. I, I think it's you're hard pressed to win it if you're less than like five, six, seven, um, especially in the SEC. And that's the thing that's maybe missing from the blue chip analysis here. I guess there are kind of two things. One is that um, you know. NFL guys, I've done some work in the past that shows that like 80% of guys who are ranked in the top 15 end up in the NFL, and it drops pretty precipitously. Once you get to you know 75th to 100th, you're at like 30% of those guys make the NFL, and it basically kind of levels off around 25% as you go all the way out through the four-star rankings. Um, so what that indicates is that having those guys who are rated in the top 15, the top 30, really guarantees that you've got NFL quality guys on your on your on your team. And, you know, if you look at Florida from 2016 to 2021, and this is from late April, so it's a little bit out of date, but it's pretty much, it doesn't change the conclusion. Um, So Florida's had one five-star commit, 73 four-star commits, and 53 three-stars. Georgia's had 23 five-stars, 78 four-stars, and 29 three-stars. So basically, for every five-star that Georgia has signed, (laughs) Florida has signed a three-star. I mean, that's really what that boils down to. And you can win that way. You can win a lot of games that way. But when it comes down to it, when Florida goes out on the field against Georgia, they're going to be facing a lot of guys who are going to be playing in the NFL. And, you know, there are ways to overcome that. The way to overcome that is have a have a quarterback who's just kicking everybody's butt and to have the opposition not have that guy. And that's one of the things, you know, nobody who came up against LSU last year was going to be able to beat them because of the way Joe Burrow was playing. Um, Alabama probably came the closest, really, when you think about some of the weird stuff that happened at the end of the first half in that game. But, um, you know, that, that that's the reality of things. So if Trask can step up and be an elite-level quarterback, I think Florida can go really, really far with the level of talent they have. If he basically replicates what he did last year, I think the Gators are going to struggle to be able to take LSU, Georgia, and then potentially Alabama in the SEC championship game and be able to get to the playoffs. So I think a lot of it boils down to Trask because, yes, they have the talent to advance. Um, but, I, you know, blue chip ratio is an interesting one. I, th- I think it gives you an idea of does a team have enough talent. Yeah. But because the high-end talent seems to be so important in terms of being able to correlate, um, you know, one of the things I've started doing during recruiting is looking at how many top 100 guys did Mullen sign, how many guys in the 200 to 300 range, and how many in the 300 or in the 
you know, the, how many in the zero to 100, the 100 to 200 and the 200 to 300 and trying to separate those out. Cause just saying, Oh, I signed a bunch of guys in the top 300 doesn't really make that big of a difference. I actually, <laughs> I had some guys coming at me this week on Twitter because of, uh, they were trying to use the 2008 Florida team as an example of a uh, of a of the fact that stars don't matter because the Pouncy twins were one of them was rated a four star and one of them was rated a three star, but you know one of them was like 220th overall nationally and one was like 275th. Those are really good players and they'd be five star they'd be they'd be four stars these days um, just because of the way the ranking system works. So um, I think. Uh, and the Florida, SEC has changed a whole lot since then. <laughs> yes, it has. But you know, the, the reality is that 08 team was loaded, and, yep. and I don't think anybody debates that. Maybe they had a three-star in a couple of different places. But again, if I go back to the Warriors example, Draymond Green is good because Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson are on that team, and then eventually Kevin Durant. If you don't have those guys... Draymond Green. In fact, we've seen it this year when the NBA was playing. The Warriors are terrible with Draymond Green and only Draymond Green on the court. Um, the minute you take those five-star guys out of the out of the NBA, Draymond Green is a nice piece to have, but he doesn't necessarily move the needle. But he moves the needle a lot when you get him to perform. So Mullen's track record with three stars is really really good. At Mississippi State, he converted three stars into NFL guys at a much higher clip than coaches normally do. And so I do think that there's something to the fact that he's better at developing guys. So I don't know, based on that, whether he has to have equivalent recruiting to Georgia. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's a big difference between 83% yeah. blue chip ratio and 63% blue chip ratio, and that's just the reality. Well, as you said, Will, I mean, he's proven it that they can do it with three stars. He can get them to the NFL. He can win a lot of games with them. We just want to see what he can do with four and five-star guys because the, 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 it erases one part of the equation. Well, he hasn't won the SEC yet, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, that's the next step. I mean, the reality is, is that Florida fans, I don't think, are going to be happy just with a trip to Atlanta this year, um, especially if that trip to Atlanta doesn't come with a win over Georgia. I think you, know, you sort of look at it and say maybe a win over Georgia and a loss in Atlanta is seen as progress. But I don't think anybody's going to be happy with that loss in Atlanta if, they, if they're able to knock off Georgia because this is the year that everybody expects Florida to be able to take that step and, and compete for the compete for the playoff. And yeah, so we'll see whether he can do it. I think it'll be uh, – it, it certainly makes this year interesting. And, and his reliance on the transfer portal has closed that gap a little bit. I think if you look at the – if you look at the top 22 guys on each roster, I think Florida compares pretty favorably. But I think if the injury bug starts going through Gainesville, it's going to be harder to replace those guys than if the injury bug was going through Athens. All right, Will, and one thing I kind of wanted to point out by that before that before we go here, and you know how that kind of correlates to, to the, the final rankings and how these teams have performed the last couple of years, you know, the percentage isn't going to change from year to year all that much. Uh, in the last two years, in the SEC, only four schools had double-digit wins those two seasons. Alabama, LSU, Florida, and Georgia. There are only four teams in the SEC that have double-digit wins the last two years. Uh, there, so LSU, you know, LSU with an SEC and a national championship. Bama with an SEC title and a national championship appearance. Georgia's winning the East both seasons. Florida's right behind there with ten and eleven wins in Mullen's first two seasons. So, you know, in, in twenty eighteen, you had a Florida beat LSU, and then that same LSU team, met, you know, handled Georgia, uh, and then a couple weeks later, Georgia beat Florida. Uh, not a lot of separated, not a lot separated those teams in 2018. Uh, but Bama certainly being uh, the class of the SEC that year, and then last season LSU takes the mantle as they have a close battle with Florida and Alabama. Handled Georgia uh, in the SEC championship game. 
Bama took a step back, finished behind all these teams in 2019. So, you know, all four of these teams have had, you know, similar couple of seasons the last two years, and, and most are looking at these four teams to continue that in 2020, especially when you look at these blue chip ratios. Yeah, I mean, I think recruiting matters, right? I mean, that, that's really sort of the the take home from that is that is that the blue chip ratio and recruiting and top one hundred and all that stuff does point towards teams that are able to win year in year win year in and year out. And one of the things that so top ten classes with a special quarterback, yes, you can make it to a playoff. That's really kind of what we're looking at for Florida this year. But to consistently be the team that is always there and always in the mix requires a special level of recruiting, especially in the SEC. And and that's what we're seeing, right? I mean, LSU gets a transcendent quarterback performance from Joe Burrow and all of a sudden is winning the national championship. I suspect they're going to come back to earth, not only because of everybody that they lost to the NFL, but because Miles Brennan is not Joe Burrow. And and we're going to see that. Same thing with two at Alabama. I, I suspect that Alabama is going to come back to the pack a little bit just because of the um, just because of the fact that they had a transcendent guy quarterback. And Mac Brown may be really good, but he's not He's not Tua. Um, now, Bryce Young might be Tua, and then we might all be in a lot of trouble if he ends up playing halfway through the year and all of a sudden Alabama's got another stud there playing at quarterback. But, um, you know, so so the reality is, is Florida has the opportunity to have that stud at quarterback, and, and that's the hope this year, for me at least, is that um, the places where they're weak are going to be peppered over by – or papered over by the fact that they have an elite guy at quarterback who could carry them. And, and, you know, next year they're going to have to hope for the same thing because the reality is it's going to take two, three, four years to get that talent level up to where it is. And, and when you look at Clemson, I mean, that's how they really built. I mean, obviously not in the SEC, so it's a little bit easier to build that way, but – but it's not a coincidence that Dabo Swinney was able to hit on Taj Boyd and then he was able to hit on Deshaun Watson, and now they're a recruiting juggernaut. But he had to hit on those guys to mm-hmm. save his job and to get to where get them to where they where they are now, and, and that's really the challenge. So it's great to see that Carlos Del Rio is really showing out at, at the Elite 11 camp because Florida needs one of these guys, you know, whether it's Del Rio or Anthony Richardson or Emory Jones or even Kyle Trask this year. Florida needs a couple of these guys to hit and hit big to sort of stem the gap for the talent so that to allow the recruiting to catch up. Good stuff, Will, man. It was a good, good, fun episode here, talking uh, talking Florida talent and, and how it stacks up against everybody and, and, uh, and a possible title run in 2020. What you got coming up at, Will, uh, at Reading Reaction? Yeah, man, I got an article coming from Jackie Francioli. is going to be uh, putting something up on the site tomorrow, so everybody go check that out. It's exciting to have her on the site, to have somebody who's, uh, who's written for a lot of different Gator publications come on to Reading Reaction and, and write something. She's going to be looking at, uh, at recruiting a little bit and sort of the numbers game and, and the different slots that Florida has left, um, you know, heading into, heading into the 2021 class. And then, uh, and then I've been working on some stuff comparing uh, Dan Mullen to Kirby Smart, so people are going to enjoy that a little bit because it's going to be some mm-hmm. Kirby Smart slander heading into the year, and uh, you know, that's, yeah. always, that's always pretty popular. It is, it is, it is. Always fun, too. We had some fun last week. Uh, we might try and do something like that again, but a lot of fun. Uh, well, you need to have him on the week after so we can sing So yeah. we can sing our alma mater, man. Yeah. Um, next week, Brett Ciencia from Pick 6 Previews uh, will be on Gators Breakdown, so we'll get his preview. Uh, he has a unique uh, publication out there, Pick 6 Previews, so uh, uh, be excited, excited to have him on. He was uh, one of the guests last year. He from up there in Pennsylvania, Will, where uh, Kyle Pitts is from, and he called Kyle Pitts emergence last year on the podcast, and so he he hit that one on the head. Uh, maybe he's right again this year, Will, because he has the Gators, his third ranked team, 
making the college football playoff in his previews. So maybe he can hit two years in a row. He called Kyle Pitts last year, and maybe he'll call the Gators into the playoff this year. Well, I mean, all I know is that Florida fans are going to have to buy his publication because clearly, um, you know, every time anybody downgrades a recruit or or ESPN does anything against Florida, every I, I hear on my timeline that uh, there's an inherent bias against Florida for some reason. So maybe this guy's got a bias towards us and it'll make it more interesting for us to read. But no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be an interesting take. I mean, certainly... Um, I think we talked about it a little bit last week. We've sort of hinted at it this week. Florida has an opportunity to be really, really good this year. Um, I think a lot of things have to fall their way, but at the same time, it's not like everything has to fall their way. And and that's the thing you get worried about is when you're like, well, this has to happen. Well, this has to happen. Well, this has to happen. I mean, last year you needed Grenard and Zaniga to stay healthy. You needed them to play well. You really kind of figured you needed Felipe Franks to stay healthy the entire year. But, um, you know, obviously Kyle Trask was able to step up and play at a high level. But the offensive line, I think, is what really sort of – sort of dive bomb the entire season. I mean, the season was obviously very successful at 11 and two, but that was probably the ceiling based on the way the offensive line played this year. I think, you know, the offensive line doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be better. The wide receivers don't have to be great. They just have to be better. Um, Trask doesn't have to be Joe Burrow, but he does have to be maybe Jake Fromm. you know, two years ago or three years ago. And, and if you can start to piece those things together, you can see that there's absolutely a path for Florida to get there. Um, but certainly, I think if you're a Georgia fan or an Alabama fan or maybe even LSU fan, you can convince yourself there's a path for your team as well. So that's why it's fun, right? I mean, one of the downsides to playing in the SEC is that you only get a couple of shots because you're always playing elite competition. <laughs> but one of the nice parts about playing in the SEC is you're pretty sure you're going to win the title if you make it to the playoff because you've certainly played teams that are probably better than the guys that you end up playing in the playoffs once you make there make it there. And, and so that's one of, the, one of the beauties of playing in this conference and one of the reasons it's so much fun. And why we're really wanting football this fall. So oh <laughs> hopefully, ho- hopefully, hopefully we get it. Hopefully we get it. Absolutely. Send your letters to Sankey, guys. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.